All right, so those of you that are, uh, are guests or haven't been around a little bit, I've been teaching on the, uh, the, the importance of covenant. Importance of covenant meaning that um, it is not just an agreement between two parties, but it's a sacred agreement of relationship. And God's covenants in the Bible are forever. Okay? We can see this every time it rains. You just look up at the sky, you see a rainbow. That is supposed to be a, uh, a remembrance of the, uh, of the covenant that God made with Noah. We forgot, right? Maybe at the end of service we can give an update. You, you remember we were talking before, it's like, oh, come on, you've got to give an update. Sorry, man, there's so much going on, you know? <laughs> Amen. Yeah, so go- covenant, right? It's, uh, the covenants with, uh, with, with, with the sons of man are forever. This is something that we, we, we some of us have lost the principle of that, um, because we've been affected by uh, inappropriate theology. And um, so, you know, we can't rehash or, or, or reteach the last two weeks, but that's really where we've gone on, on a journey of, of what covenant is. And so today, I wanted to talk a little bit about how this covenant develops over time. Because if you take a look, there are seven main covenants that God makes with man. And each one, there's like a, 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 a little bit more of a deeper development of things, which culminates with the seventh covenant, uh, seventh main covenant, that is, uh, with Yeshua or um, Jesus, right? So let's, uh, let's take a look at really the, uh, essentially the, the first covenant that he's making with man. And that is uh, Genesis 2 verse 16 says it this way. <clears throat> the Lord God commanded the man saying of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in that day you eat of it, you shall surely die. Lord, we just come before you and I just pray that these stories which we remember from our childhood in Sunday school, Lord, that there be a fresh life to it, that there be something on it that we may not have registered and understood before. Lord, I pray for open hearts and open minds. I pray for the Spirit of God just to govern all things, because I'm, for some reason, feeling quite distracted right now. In Jesus' name. Maybe I just need a drink. All right, so uh, in this story, right, the first covenant that God makes with man, there's one law. Don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's like, I'm pretty simple, you know. It's like, one thing you can't do. I mean, you think about today's society, all the things you can't do, right? And what you can do and what you can't do. And, you know, so many people uh, in, in, in the church sometimes, not so many people, some people like poke fun at the Mosaic Covenant. Mosaic Covenant tradition has it that there's 613 commandments. It's, wow, I can't believe I have so many commandments. Well, anyone who's ever looked at the Internal Revenue Code, it's over 2,000 pages of law dealing with one issue of our society, and that's taxes. <laughs> it's unbelievable, right, how, how, how much law can, can get in there and, and bumble things up. But in the beginning, it's very simple. It's one law. Do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so what happens here is, as we know, the story goes on, right? They do eat of the very thing that they cannot, are not supposed to eat. And now, right, the story goes on. We, we, we know these things from our, from our readings of the Bible, um, that they're banished from the, from the garden, uh, and now sin actually gets worse. Cain kills Abel, murders on the scene. 
Then it goes on to talk about a, a descendant of Cain by the name of Tubal Khan, who's, uh, who's like even worse. He's killing even more people. He actually pokes fun in the scriptures on the sin of Cain. Like, ah, Cain killed one, I've killed, I forget what he says, I, don't, I forget how many he says, but he's like, there's a song about him making fun of his ancestor with just doing a little sin. Then, of course, we have the story of Noah. Uh, and Noah, in Genesis chapter 6, it says that it, like, things have gotten so bad that, that mankind continually is doing evil. This isn't like you do evil and then you do good, then you go back to evil, then you go back to good, and the next week you do more evil. It's just continually. It's, in, the, in the Hebrew, it's meaning like a daily occurrence, a constant ebb and flow of just constant evil. There's no break. That's how bad it is. Actually, for, for those of you like, who really read in the story, it, it gets so bad. It says that the sons of God come down to earth and, in, and cohabitate, have sexual relations with the daughters of men. And then there were great mighty men on planet earth. Like it's so bad that, that women are actually becoming one with the demonic. Right? It's a, it's a generation that is constantly evil and is open themselves up to the demonic world so much that they're doing this. They're, they're having this cohabitation. It's that bad. And because it's that bad, right, we know the story, right? Uh, we, we know the story of, of the water, the boat, the animals, uh, the flood. It says that Noah was pure in all of his generations. Pure. That, the phrase there, pure, that word pure meant is that he's not, he hasn't been defiled by the demonic realm. Okay? And what happens here is, right, we all know the story, right? God, God floods the earth. But what, what happens here is the, the, the flooding of the earth is an archetype. It's a foreshadowing of a baptism, of a mikvah, an immersion of water. Like as we, right, go down into the baptism waters and we come up a new creation, God is covering the globe with water so that he emerges as a new creation again. Okay, that's what's going on here in a, in a very a spiritual archetypal sense. And now with this, uh, Noah sacrifices. Once the, the boat lands, right, he, he makes a sacrifice. There's the, there's the shedding of blood. It's very clear. It says it has to be clean animals, not defiled animals, but clean animals. Of the clean animals, he offers up a sacrifice of the God. And God is awakened by the aroma. There's blood, right? We were, so another key thing we're talking about is that with covenant, there's always, always the shedding of blood. Adam and Eve in the gar garden, the making of the, uh, of, the, of the tunics for man, the killing of an animal. We got here with Noah. Obviously, Noah goes up, kills an animal. Abraham, there's the, uh, the cutting back of the foreskin. There's the shedding of blood. Jesus shedding of blood. And we'll get more into that as we move forward in all this. But not, not everyone digs into the depths of the Noah story. And so what's really profound here is in the Noah story, after all this happened, God makes a covenant with Noah. And yeah, it's the rainbow. But there's more to it than that. He says, you are to do these three things. Right? Adam and Eve is very simple. One thing. Don't eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Oops, they did. Now we go from one, two, three. The three laws are this. Be fruitful and multiply. Do not eat meat that still has the blood in it. And then God says, because in the blood there is life. So do not eat meat that the blood has not been cooked out or drained out. Three, do not murder. For if someone murders, he too shall be murdered, right? Or killed, right? So there's three laws. 
fruitful, multiply. There's this weird kind of crazy thing here. It's like you can eat meat, but don't let it have the blood in it. And then, of course, do not murder. There's only three. It's like wonderful. You go from one to three. Like I'm like, man, I could live in that society where there's three laws, you know? Uh, Leonardo da Vinci said it this way. Simplicity is the ultimate form of sophistication. Like if you can make things simple and exact and minimalist and efficient, it's the most sophisticated thing that there can be. It's just, there's a beauty to it, right? It can do so many things encompassed in one. There's a sophistication to the simplicity. But so amazing is man cannot comply with one law and now he can't comply with three laws. It's unbelievable. It's like there's three laws. It's unbelievable. So what happens here is we go from one to three and God's like, all right, you still can't handle it. So what's eventually going to happen, which we'll talk in the next couple weeks, is he goes from three to traditionally 613, the law of Moses. It's like one you can't do, three you can't do, now 613. All right? Whoa. All right. Now I know we kind of like, you know, we're kind of confused with this stuff, but come on. It's unbelievable if you take a look at things like how many commandments are we to uh, keep? It's a kind of a tricky theological thing here. I mean, you know, the Lord says certain things about commandments, which we'll get into, but how about the Ten Commandments? Like, everyone's like, oh, you got to obey the Ten Commandments, right? Come on, who here is like, you obey the Ten Commandments? Like, it's the Ten Commandments. Can I have a show of hands? Like, are, are, like, are we supposed to obey the Ten Commandments? It's like the Ten Commandments. Right? There's a lot of people who are unsure. Well, this is a good traditional thing, right? You, that, 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 oh, well, you know, you're a believer. You know, you, you adhere to the Ten Commandments. It's like, go read the Ten Commandments. Go read them. It's been a while. Go read them and see if you keep the Sabbath day holy. Go see if you make engraven images. Let's, like, let's go see, right? Let's go see if you lie or not. You know, like that lie when you, like, you're lying to Comcast or to, like, Netflix because you have someone else's password, like that lie? Right? Like, that's what I'm talking about. Like, do you actually, like, you, born again of the Spirit and of water, can you adhere to ten simple commandments? Probably not. But that's, like, the nature of it, right? So, all right, so law is a funny thing. But this is, this is really the way it works, I believe, by the Spirit of God, is that it is God's mercy that he creates more laws. Like, that's something that, like, you don't ever hear. Like, What? It's God's mercy that he creates more laws? Yes. It is God's mercy that he creates more laws because freedom without law is lawlessness. Man was not able to handle the freedom to choose what was right and wrong. So this is kind of a little bit of a bizarre, different take on things, right? One law, you can't, one law they cannot do. Three laws they cannot do. And so we're like, why is the Lord increasing the amount of laws that people have to adhere to? It's actually an element of love. It's like you guys are totally checked out crazy, unruly, that we actually have to put laws around you. This is the difficulty if someone has gone through a difficult situation, uh, if they've gone through addiction, if they've gone through some kind of criminal, criminal behavior. If there is a lack of ability to live a certain way, the laws actually guard you and keep you from becoming worse off. That, that's what I'm trying to convey to you, right? Like a little child, like my, my five-year-old, right? She doesn't have the complete depths of concepts of things yet. If I allow her just to be completely free, it's going to be a, a, a mess. 
But if I guide her and give her some laws to guide her so that she can mature into things, she'd be much, much more safe. Much more, more safe. And so that's actually the heart of God here. God is developing these laws to protect man. Because he did only one and they couldn't handle it. So he made three and they still couldn't handle it. And every time they break it, it actually gets worse and worse and worse. And he's like, all right, guys, I guess I have to do all of this to protect you. Okay? I know, it's not like a common thing. Because we're always like, you know, we're always, we're always looking at the Old Testament, or the, I'd rather say the Older Testament laws as like these horrible things. They're actually beautiful things. And I talked about last week, right? How can something be horrible when King David says the law is a light upon my feet? <laughs> right? There has to be goodness in it. So, okay, obviously this leads us to the concept of, uh, and the belief of Jesus, right? Uh, the book of James says that Jesus brought forth the perfect law of liberty. And that the greatest commandment, right? Well, all right, you follow Jesus. Like, what are you supposed to do, right? Master, master, what are the greatest of commandments? And what does Jesus say? Love your God, your Father in heaven, right? Love your heart, your mind, your, your soul. And also love your neighbor as yourself, right? By the way, like that right there is from the Mosaic Law, just so you know. <laughs> like Jesus didn't come up with that one. It's like Deuteronomy something. Like, it's like, wow, Jesus came up with the golden rule. No, it was God given to Moses. Just like, so you know, right? These aren't things that Jesus just comes up with. He's like reminding the people. He's saying, look, this is what it is. This is if you fulfill these two commandments, love, you will be able to do all of the commandments, or rather the intent of the commandment, right? Because the intent of the law was to mature you into a place of being where you actually no longer need all of that law. Like if I'm doing things right with my girls, by the time they're 16, 17, 18, I can like step back on that law because you've matured into that place. It seems to be that humanity for like 4,000 years were not in a place of maturation that they can go to that place. God wanted it to be that way in the beginning, but they couldn't do it. And so it's almost like God is teaching man. He's, he's, he's maturing them. He's bringing them to a place of maturation where they finally can receive the law of liberty. You get what I'm saying? The greatest commandment love, right? It's a return to simplicity, but it's also profound. Because what we know here to be true is laws cannot change the souls of men. Only the blood can do that. Because the blood brings love. The blood brings the revelation. So you can have as many laws as you want, but man's hearts can still be defamed. So what you really need to do is you can't change men with laws. You can actually only change men by the blood, by the heart, and then the depths of them is right, and now they don't need laws. Like, I don't need a law any, anymore to not murder. I don't need a law do not commit adultery. I don't need that law. Whether it's there or not, I'm not doing those things because I love. And if you love your brother, even if he hates you, you're not going to murder him. And if you love your wife in the covenant of marriage, there's no need for a law of adultery because you're not going to do it. It's not even on your radar. Because you are a new creation in Christ Jesus, right? So you change the heart. If you change the heart, you change the man. This is something that actually even uh, Dr. King continued continue with in 1964. You know, we had a civil rights movement that happened. It was a civil rights law, civil rights law of 1964. It says you're not allowed to discriminate 
uh, anyone based upon their, uh, their national heritage or of their race. And he's like, you can make as many laws as you want, but this isn't Boston, man. This is Alabama. You can make as many laws as you want, but if man's hearts are wicked, they will not adhere to that law. So he comes up with the concept, which is directly taken from the, the ideas of Jesus, the concept of the soul force. You can't change society by law. You only change society by changing hearts. Right? Win people by their hearts, not by their minds. If you, where, the, where the heart goes, the mind will follow. It's that kind of concept, right? And so that's the kind of paradigm that's going on here. And so, all right, there's an important lesson here, and it's this. Uh, we cannot forget the lessons from the past. So we're living in this stage now of the perfect law of liberty. It's like, yeah, perfect law of liberty, I got Jesus. The blood of Jesus, right? Oh, that's great, man, and that's awesome. But do not forget the lessons from the past, right? It's been said this, those who do not remember the past are condemned to repeat it. We all know that one, right? It's like, ah, come on. Remember the past? Yeah, I know a little bit about Garden of Eden. I know a little bit about, no, yeah, but you got to know, right? You got to comprehend. Because if you don't comprehend these things, you're going to repeat these things. Come on, repeat these things. There's not a Garden of Eden and there's not a tree of knowledge of good and evil and a tree of life. Are you sure about that? No, come on. It's, are you sure that there isn't a tree of life? And are you sure that there isn't really a tree the knowledge of good and evil. Well, I don't know. What do you mean? I don't know. We'll get there. Well, what, is there going to be a flood again? I know. But I, I, like, I like the way that Mark Twain said it. History doesn't repeat itself, but it often rhymes. See, what's going on here is that these ancient stories that sometimes we forget about, we just glance over and just read it through and just give it to our children's ministry to teach the kids, right? All right, they did it. Move on. I'm telling you, man, that these things are here in the Bible because they happen daily. Not just once in your generation. I'm saying that these ideas happen daily. And they don't look exactly like the serpent in the garden, but it sure looks like a rhyme. It's so similar because it speaks to the condition of man. All right, so what's, what's really going on here with these stories, right? So Adam and Eve, I'm going to spend most of the time on, and I, depending on how the Holy Spirit leads up, I, I may just finish uh, with, with, a, with a word that I felt I received from the story of Noah. Is everyone following so far? I'm really distracted. My socks are losing their elastic, so they're starting to fall down, and that drives me nuts. Anyone else? Like, it drives me nuts. So if you bear with me, I'm going to do something. I have to. Oh, it's like the worst. First world problems, I know. No? Oh, so much better. For now. <laughs> All right, well, you know, hey, a little bravety here before we maybe heat things up a little bit. All right, so Adam and Eve, right? Um, what, we're going to spend a lot of time on this, and this is, this is the, the, the thing, right? There's two trees. There's two trees and one law. A, a choice. The tree of life or the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, essentially. Now, you know, I was looking at this and I'm like, man, like God, like what are you doing, man? Tree of life, I get it. You know, Eve, the tree of life is awesome. Tree of the knowledge of good and evil, I'm like, I kind of get it. I'm like, don't eat of the tree of evil. 
Like evil I get. Like don't eat of evil. That makes sense. But like good? Like why would you not want us to eat from good? Like I probably would like fall much quicker than Adam and Eve. You see how I'm thinking? I'm like, like just being real. Like if I was in the garden, I'd be like, I, I, I get it. You just don't eat of evil. I get that. Like why, yeah, why would you want to know evil? But good things? It's, like you don't want us to know good things? Come on, like, it's good things. Like, why would you not want us to know these things? Because, you see, this is a perplexing thing. It's not the tree of evil. It's the tree of knowledge of evil and also of good. Evil I get. Good? Like, good is, like, good. You know what I'm saying? No, of course not, right? Because there's, there's something that's really there. But I'm just being real with you. And I think you're going to have to be real with yourself in a little bit. The key is by understanding really what the serpent is saying. If you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will be like God. You'll be like God. That's why he doesn't want you to eat it. Not only that, God himself says that that's what's happened. That's why they have to be banished. They have become like us. We'll get to it. If you eat of this tree, you're going to be like God. That's why he doesn't want you to eat it. So they eat it. Uh, what is it, really? If you eat of this tree, you will be able, this is so important, you will be able to determine what is evil and what is good for yourself. For you, by you. If you eat of this tree, you're going to be now like God and you will be the one who determines what is good, but also what is evil. And now you're like God. What do you mean? It's not like you know the cosmos. It's not like if you eat of this tree, you're going to know E equals MC squared. That's not what he's saying here. Like if you eat of the tree of good, you're going to know next week's lottery number. No, it's if you eat of this tree, you will now position your place to be a person who says, this is what's good for me, this is what's bad for me. And not looking to whom to tell you? God to tell you what is good and what is bad. So what or, this is really what it comes down to, what or who is the source of that which is good? The tree represents the choice between submitting to God's law or pursuing moral autonomy. Or to make it easier, I decide what is good or evil, not God. That's the tree as a rhyme that you get to face every single day. What's right? What's good? What is pleasing unto man? What is right unto man? What does his heart have to say is right or good? I decide what is good or evil, not God. And what this really is, is something has happened. When you do this, you are no longer the man, you are now the God. In a negative sense, right? You've become God. You have been the one who is able to legislate moral things. That this is what's good for me and this is what's not good for me. Genesis 3.22, we see this. Then the Lord God said, behold, the man has become like one of us. No, you cannot like speak and cause universes to cre be created. You don't know the time when the deer gives birth as we see in Job. It's not like now you can pick out the lucky lottery 
ticket. It is you become like God where you now believe that you have the authority over your own life. To know good and evil and now lest he put out his hand and take also the tree of life and eat and live forever. Then therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. So he drove out the man and he placed cherubim at the east of the garden of Eden in a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. You see, the guards are there not to keep people out of paradise. It's to keep people from the tree of life. Because if you eat of the tree of life, you shall live forever. So, I decide what is good or evil, not God. Like, guys, this, is this not the error of the modern age? Like, this is, this is like the penultimate error of the modern age that goes back thousands and thousands of years ago. This is, uh, this is more than just the big, the big social issues of today. This is more than uh, uh, the conversation on abortion, although the conversation on abortion and everything that's going on is, is, is tremendously important. It's even more than the, the concepts and the conversations on, on homosexuality. It's even more than divorce and all the other big social issues of the day that people are having a dialogue about. It's, more, it's even more important, than, even, even more than that, this is the subtle daily pursuit of doing what you want or what God wants. This is like the daily thing. This is you. This is you as a child of God. We're not contemplating abortion, not contemplating homosexuality. I'm talking about the subtle little things today. Who is determining what is right for you? I'm, I can be justified. I can talk back. I can beat my chest and say, look at me when I get into an argument with someone. I'm really the right one. They hurt me. I have the right to defend myself in that manner. Yeah, that's a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. What does God say? Humble thyself. Submit. Show love. Be an example. Open not your mouth as a lamb led to the slaughter. But the world says that what is right is for you to bite back, talk back, for you to be self-justified, for you to be right in your thoughts, your opinions, your beliefs. It's the right to revenge or getting back. It's the right to gossip. The right to self-gratification, self-justification. It's okay, I get to determine what is right. What it really comes down to is this. The question of who determines what is right and wrong in your life is really coming down to this. It is the why to why the church has not lived out its calling. I want to say this again. It is an answer to the why of why the church does not walk out its calling. We have spent so much time in the church eating of the knowledge, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, saying that we as the church get to determine what is right and what is wrong. Not the scriptures and not the Bible. I'm not talking about like getting all, you know, fundamentalists like women, you need to cover your hair when you come into church. 
right? Because there's, you know, scripture verses actually say that. I'm not going there. But where I am going is, is submission. Submission to the cross. I believe we even have churchgoers and church movements who continually look to their own tree. And then we do not get the results that we want to get and what we believe to see. But it's right. It's right and good for us to do four or five worship sets. It's right. It's good. It's right or good for us to, you know, have a 30-minute message. Or it's right or good that, you know, this is the format. Or it's right or good that we do certain things. It's like, man... You're just eating from the freaking tree again. You think it's right. You think it's good. Because it's worked and it's been a pattern. Well, why don't you eat from the tree of life and see what happens? What if next week I say, guys, we're canceling service. We're going to come here, we're going to pray for five, ten minutes, and all of us are going to go out into the streets. And you're just going to invite people to church next week. Is that right? Is that good? Is that bad? Oh my gosh, we didn't have service. Well, well guess what? Those days are coming. You're going to come right in and we're going to ride out. That's what we're going to do this week. Oh, I don't know, Dave. We didn't have our corporate meeting. Yeah, we did. It was uh, Wednesday. Where were you then? Well, I didn't have, we didn't have time to worship the Lord. Well, what were you doing this morning? Well, uh, you know, what I'm saying is like we, we, we have to move our minds out of a place of doing those things which seem to be right unto man, unto our own mind, unto our own heart. Finances? I don't have enough money to pay the bills. Yeah, no, you still give. But I don't have money to pay the bills. I know, but the Lord says, like, you give. Now, you don't have to give the 100% or the 50%, but you give something. You give a little bit to someone. And watch the Lord multiply. I mean, we don't have time for me to pass around the mic for people to just talk about that. Like, I had no money, but then I, I gave a little bit. I'm not, I'm not talking about the 10% equation, which is a whole other weirdo thing that people want to take from the law of Abraham, which is very funny. Should I go on that rabbit trail? No, it just it blows my mind away that like Christians are like, oh, the Old Testament law is bad, except for one. And Abraham gave an asara, a tenth, to Melchizedek. And now you are to give a tenth to the church. It's like, that's a pretty convenient commandment to take from the Old Testament. Like, what about all the other ones? Well... This is the one that pays the bills. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's not the principle, the asara, the tenth, the tithe. What it, is, what it is, what it is, it's a matter of the heart, right? Lord, I'm going to give because I know you are the one that's going to bless and you're going to give and you're going to take, take care of things. But that doesn't seem right or rational to your own mind. It actually doesn't seem right or rational to many churchgoers. But it's right unto the Lord. It's right. I don't know what the percent is. I don't know what the number is. I'm not going there. I have no idea. It's between you and the Lord. Between you and the Lord. I have nothing to do with it. You and the Lord. Come on, right? So, all right, so how do we, how do, we do this? How do we not go and do what we think is right and, and evil and good? Like, how do we keep ourselves now? Let me kind of make it simple for the sake of time. It's called a being, a being of the Trinity, Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, 
Show me counsel, wisdom. If any of you lacks of wisdom, ask of God and he will give you liberty without reproach. If anyone lacks, let him ask and he will give the spirit, the spirit of wisdom. Lord, they offended me. Lord, am I supposed to take this job? Lord, am I supposed to do this? Lord, this, that. Holy Spirit, come and speak. And show me the way to the tree of life. Not to what I think is right. Dude, I'm like, there have been times where I'm like, Lord, I think it's right for me to get six hours of sleep tonight. Because I need six hours to go to work tomorrow. And the Lord's like, did you ask me about that yet? No. All right, I don't want you getting six hours, but come on, six hours. He's like, I want you to get four. We're going to wake up a little earlier and you're going to spend time with me. That doesn't seem right. doesn't seem like biologically the right thing to do. Well, I'm asking you to do that. Lord, I mean, the fast? Doesn't seem right. Did you ask me? No. Ask me. Don't eat today. Doesn't seem right. <laughs> it's right, dude. Holy Spirit's got to be there. It's time, man. You know, if you're not baptized in the Holy Spirit, it's time to be baptized. And those of you that are baptized in the Holy Spirit and you just don't like to talk to Him, it's time to talk to Him and rely on Him again. Amen. A lot of people who can speak in tongues but do not lean on the Holy Spirit. There are plenty of people who can give forth prophecy, but when it comes to their own life, they're not relying and being led by the Spirit of God. Like, you have to be led by the Spirit of God. And it's, it, you don't, you don't have to, we don't have to write a book on it. You don't have to write a book on it. It's submission. It's literally a conversation. Lord, I want you to show me thy way. Amen? Where are we? All right, we can get the, the worship team to come on down. All right, Genesis chapter 3, 22 to 24, I just read, right? And the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us to know good and evil. And now, lest he put out his hand and take also the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent them out of the Garden of Eden to till the ground. And he drove out the man. And he placed cherubim at the east of the Garden of Eden. And a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. This is very bizarre. Because they have eaten of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they are banished from the garden. And there is a cherubim with fiery swords keeping them from coming back. This right there is actually an Old Testament expression of grace. Anyone who has ever thought that the Old Testament does not have grace in it, uh, that is, I'm just telling you right now, is an anti-Semitic spirit. It is an anti-Jewish, anti-native-born son of God spirit. There is grace all over the Old Testament. I remember being in graduate school, rabbi, Kippah on, a yarmulke on. I'm sitting with a bunch of yeshiva students and we're going over the stories of Abraham. And the professor asks, like, what is this an example of? That actually was, uh, I forget which story it was. It might, might have been Abraham and Isaac, but I sheepishly raised my hand. I mean, I'm in Jerusalem sitting with a bunch of Jewish yeshiva students and an Orthodox rabbi. And I said, sir, professor, it's grace. All the Jewish, non-believing in Jesus students look at me like, what the heck is this Christian saying? You know what the professor said with his yarmulke on? It is grace. 
The Christians think they invented it, but they didn't. And all these Jesus says, what, what, there's grace? The professor, an Orthodox rabbi says, grace. It's always been about grace. One law was grace. Three laws were grace. Can you believe it? 613 laws to protect you because he loves you is grace. But we couldn't mature into it because we were going and going and going and trying to do things out of our own volition. So Jesus says, I'm going to come and change your heart. The ultimate expression of grace. Amen? But if you think that there's not grace in the Old, Old Testament, man, you better go talk to your seminary and say, yo, why do you not like the Jews that much? This is grace all over the place. Now, to be honest, over 3,000 years, there's a notion of like, Christianity is better than Judaism. So then, therefore, there cannot be grace in Judaism because Christians, Christianity, blah, 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 blah. A complete, manipulated, perverted understanding of the text. Grace is all over. All over the Old Testament. So what's the element of grace? If man eats of the tree of life, he will live forever, but he's going to continue to sin. You see, he sinned. Now he leaves. And if he ever comes back, now he can eat of the tree of life again. If he does that, he's going to live forever, and he is going to also sin forever. And now he has a perpetual state of sin. A perpetual state of sin. Sin is sorrow, is pain, is difficulty, is bad stuff, bad mojo, man. So God says, put this sword up so they cannot be immortal. Because if they're immortal and they continue to sin, they are going to be in complete depravity and sorrow and it's going to be hell. It's going to be hell. It's better for they to die. So the sinning stops. Death is a gift. Paul says it this way, to live is Christ, but to die is gain. But you and I get to eat of the tree of life now. Now. Earlier I said incorrectly on purpose that there were two trees and one law. That's not true. There were two trees and two laws. What are they? Well, do not eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Because if you do, you will become like God. You'll be the one who determines what is right and wrong. If you read it in a closer sense, don't eat from that, but you can also eat of all the others, including the tree of life, which means there's actually two laws. Don't eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil and eat of the tree of Life. Those are the two choices. Those are the two laws. And those are the two things, although it's a rhyme, that you get to see every single day. Will you eat of the tree of life today or will you eat of your own knowledge today? Which one will it be? That's the eternal plan. That's the eternal thing that's represented in the garden. Revelation chapter 22 as we more or less close up today. As I read in worship. And he showed me a pure river of water of life. Clear as crystal proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. And in the middle of its street on either side of the river was the tree of life. Which bore twelve fruits, the twelve tribes of Israel. 
Each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. There's still a tree of life that is now in heaven. Actually, it's going to be in the New Jerusalem. Sorry, I had to clarify. But we get to eat of that now. You know what I'm saying? We can eat of the tree of life now. How do you eat the tree of life? It's weird, man. You eat the tree of life, you got to do the opposite. You got to die. To live is to die. To die to the flesh is to live in Him. It's to eat of the tree. To come to the tree of life, you got to die to the flesh. What is it dying in the flesh? Choosing not to eat the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's dying to the flesh. That's a little cerebral and academic, but that's what it is. Like, to die to the flesh is to say, I'm not going to be self-justified. I'm not going to be the moral, autonomous person over my life. I'm going to him and he that matters. And to do that, I'm telling you, man, your flesh is going to ache. Your flesh loves the tree of knowledge of good and evil because it feeds the flesh, but the tree of life feeds the soul. To die is to simply pick up the cross daily. To die is to submit to the covenant of Jesus, the tree of life. But also in a spiritual manner, it is fulfilling, fulfilling the covenant in the garden. Because the covenants are forever. That covenant in the garden keeps going, but now there's a rhyme to it. Now it's expressed in Jesus in a, in a symbolic spiritual way. So choose to eat not from the tree. Of this age, the tree that bears the crucifixion. Amen? So that was the covenant with Adam and Eve. Covenant with Noah. Don't worry, I'm not going to go for another 40 minutes. But I want to share this with you. I believe on Wednesday the Lord spoke to me in prayer for a prophetic message for the church and for a prophetic message for you all and myself. And it comes out of the covenant of Noah. Genesis 8.22. Talking about the three laws of Noah, right? Be fruitful, multiply, do not eat meat that has the blood in it, and do not murder. And there's a rainbow in the sky, but that's not the full bearing of the covenant. The full bearing of the covenant is this. This is the Lord speaking. While the earth remains in seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer, and day and night shall not cease. He's saying that the seasons will continue. I'm going to make this political. No matter what scientists are saying about global warming, climate change, all that kind of stuff, I know the Word of God. He says, don't, like, don't freak out. Like, the seasons will remain. And I don't want to get into that, but I want to get into the, the spiritual part because I believe this is what the Lord was saying is that too many of us have not believed this promise. Too many of us are stuck in a season and the season is winter and it's bare and it's cold and there's no fruit on the trees. But I felt the Lord is saying prophetically, it is time for you to rethink church and your life. I am telling you, that Bristol is no longer in winter. It was in winter for a very long time, but it is springtime again in Bristol. 
It is springtime and summer in this church where there is bounty, where there is goodness. And I can say that because it's the covenant of God. He will take your winter and the winter will pass and the summer is now upon you. But the only way you can walk in that is if you bear that covenant. And too many people are like, nah, I'm just going to stay in the winter place. Where things are blah, crappy, disgusting, no life, ugh. But the seasons change. And it's a covenant. I'm telling you right now, the Lord was on this as heavy as can be. It is March, baby. In like a lion, out like a lamb. I'm telling you that the lion of God is going to produce the peace of God, the lamb of God. If you're going through it and you've been through a mess and you've been sitting there for a year, five years, ten years, your whole life, it is time to declare the covenant of God. Lord, I am choosing to live in the summertime again. In the winter or the fall, you plant seed, but in the summer, it's time to bear harvest. And what is that harvest? Revelation 22. Each branch produces a fruit in its season. The harvest is that which is born by the tree of life. The tree of life. Lord, we just come before you. We thank you for your covenants. Lord, we thank you for the tree of life. Lord, we thank you that you put a sword in front of the garden to protect us for a day when there will no longer need be a sword because of the blood of Jesus. I thank you, O oh Father, that we have the ability to once again eat of a better tree of life, the Lamb of God, the blood of Jesus. Lord, I thank you that we can be in this place once again, but I proclaim to the land and to the inhabitants, to the inhabitants thereof that there is liberty again. There is liberty. We speak liberty and freedom over this church. We speak liberty and freedom over Bristol. We speak liberty and freedom over the citizens and the inhabitants of Philadelphia. Let freedom ring again. Not an anarchy, not a lawlessness, but the perfect law of liberty, of Jesus. A law that says, a law of liberty that says, the only way to get to this tree is you got to lay down your life. You got to lay it all down. You got to lay it all, all down. Spirit of God, I pray that you come right now and that there is a birthing that takes place right now. A birthing, fruit to be born of a people who lay down their life who say no to the tree of, of knowledge of good and evil and say yes, 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 Revelation 22. A tree of life exists. And his name is Jesus. For you are the vine. You are the vine. As we close up today, feel free to head downstairs and get something to eat or hang out. 
But I'm just asking you, if you are in a place in your life where you've been residing and hanging out around the wrong tree, a tree that produces only winter, you need to come down. You need to be released right now in Jesus' name. If you haven't been relying on the the leading of the Holy Ghost, you need to come on down. We need to set you free. If you've been going to what seems to be pleasing and right and good in the eyes of man, you need to come down to the altar and repent and say, God, I am not my God. I am the man. You are God. Jesus. Well, I'll stop talking now. But if you need, you got a stirring inside of you, you got to come on down. You got to pray away that tree of knowledge and say yes, the tree of life. Maybe we have a maybe we have a couple prayer people prayer folks come on down and pray for people. That'd be great. Have a wonderful week. Feel free to just enjoy the presence as the worship team continues. Have a wonderful week.